It's the not knowing, isn't it? We as humans have that innate drive in us to want to understand things. We want to solve the puzzle, find the missing clue, find out who, what, when, where, and why. It's how we're wired. When we hear of cases surrounding a murder, we know that the victim is deceased. But in missing persons cases, there is no closure. There are endless possible theories as to what could have happened to the person. This allows us to deeply sympathize with the families of the victims, but in a more personal sense, urges us, the general public, to feel like we're a part of it too, like we could help in some way. We can join the search for justice, for closure, and we are a part of it. Law enforcement, detectives, can't be everywhere all the time, and they often rely on the general public for help in tips and unsolved cases of all kinds. Now, it's true, we don't have access to all the information and tools that they have, but a lot of cold cases go on to be solved with the help of someone like you or me, an individual who happened to uncover a small detail or piece of evidence from a case, or someone on their way home from work who spotted something unusual and felt like they should report it. It makes you realize we have much more power than we think we do, don't we? Welcome back to Avery After Dark. I'm your host, Avery Ross. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode. Today, we are discussing three different missing persons cases, all very different, but all incredibly chilling and disturbing. But before we get into that, I want to thank all of you for following along with this podcast, subscribing to the Avery After Dark YouTube channel, and overall for your support. If you enjoy the show, make sure to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And let me know where you listen and watch the show. Some of you say you listen on car rides or while doing chores around the house. I've even had a couple of you tell me that you tune into the show at night and that my voice lulls you to sleep. I gotta say, that's a very good compliment. I love that I get to wind down with you at the end of your day. All right, without further ado, let's get into the case files. Today's first story, The Strange Disappearances of Hannah Up. And yeah, you heard me right. Disappearances. Plural. This woman has disappeared not once, not twice, but three times. It all really began on August 28, 2008. 23-year-old Hannah Up was working as a teacher in Upper Manhattan in New York City. She was busy preparing for a new school year to start that next day. Hannah was a Pace University graduate student and taught Spanish. The day of the 28th, she went out for a run near her apartment in Hamilton Heights. But Hannah didn't come back. That next morning, when the school bell rang, Hannah was absent. Police were called in and the search for her began. They found that she left her ID, phone, and wallet behind, but there was no sign of her anywhere. Friends and family put up thousands of missing persons posters all over the city, and her disappearance was covered in the media as well. Where did she go? Days passed by with no developments in the case. But strangely, two weeks into her disappearance, Hannah was spotted on surveillance at an Apple store in Midtown Manhattan. Checking her email, she was even seen chatting with a classmate there. Hannah was dressed in a workout outfit with her hair up, and two days after that, she was seen at a Starbucks. She was also spotted at five different chains of New York sports clubs all across the city, where detectives believe she had gone to shower. So she was missing, but from the surveillance tapes, seemed to be fine popping up in different areas all across the city, completing these mundane tasks. And then a shocking turn. 
On September 16th, Hannah Up was found floating face down in the New York Harbor near the Statue of Liberty. A ferry captain spotted her and immediately called 911. The crew aboard the ferry hoisted Hannah up from the water, and upon doing so, she immediately took a sharp gasp of breath and began to cry. She was treated for hypothermia, dehydration, and a severe sunburn. But miraculously, Hannah survived. Police began questioning her. What happened? Where had she been? And Hannah didn't have a clue. She told police she had no idea where she had been the past three weeks. She said she went from going on a run to being in the ambulance. It was like 10 minutes had passed. Hannah's mom, Barbara Bellis, watched the surveillance footage from the Apple store and said that something seemed very off about her daughter. Something wasn't right. Hannah was treated and learned she was suffering from an extremely rare form of amnesia called dissociative fugue. Someone with this may leave home without any warning and can even take on a new identity. Episodes of this fugue state can last hours, days, or even years in some cases. And the scary thing is, from an onlooker, the person in the fugue state will often appear completely normal, just as Hannah did all over New York City while she was missing. Doctors believe it can be triggered by trauma, a natural disaster, or by some sort of profound internal conflict. In these states, sufferers can pick up, leave, and embark on lengthy journeys. How scary to think in a blink of an eye, you could just lose yourself, your identity. That is baffling. When talking to doctors, Hannah said she didn't really have any big stressors or trauma, so this whole event was beyond strange. She couldn't explain it. She was confused as to why this happened to her, but with time, she tried to get past it. And time went by without any incident. Hannah and her family thought and hoped that this was all in the past, but it wasn't. In the years since that disappearance and reappearance, Hannah had moved to Kensington, Maryland and started a new life there. But then in September, 2013, it happened again. Hannah was seen walking near the school she worked at as a teacher's assistant, and then she was gone. She vanished. Her cell phone and purse were found lying in a wooded area, but Hannah was nowhere to be found. This time, Hannah was missing for two days and was eventually found in a dirty creek. She called her mom to come get her and she was again confused. But the most haunting disappearance is the one that remains unsolved to this day. In 2014, Hannah moved again to St. Thomas in the US Virgin Islands. She made lots of friends and they all said Hannah loved living there. One good friend named Maggie Guzman even joked that it was exhausting being Hannah's pal because Hannah had so much energy all the time. She was super involved in the community and taught at the local school. But many friends said they had no idea that she suffered from this dissociative fugue. And in September 2017, Hannah's friends noticed she was acting strangely, not herself. And this was all in the time when Hurricane Irma barreled through the island in early September. And a week later on September 14th, 2017, Hannah was seen leaving her apartment around 8 a.m. and has never been seen again. She was reported missing after failing to show up for a faculty meeting at a local Montessori school where she worked. Her car was found abandoned near a beach bar, and at Hannah's apartment, police found a note she had left for her roommate before she vanished. In this note, Hannah said she was intending on going for a morning swim in nearby Sapphire Beach, and then heading to the school she worked at to complete a few tasks. The day after she disappeared, a construction cleanup crew found Hannah's sundress, a pair of her sandals, and her car keys laid out in the sand. 
Many fearing the worst. The oceans after the hurricane were abnormal current-wise, three to four foot waves. Even for an Olympic swimmer, these conditions would be hard to fight against. But Hannah's mom believes she's still alive out there somewhere, and even moved to St. Thomas to search for her daughter. There's been reported sightings of Hannah in the past couple years, and many believe she's still out there somewhere, but has maybe taken on a new identity. Investigators say that workers at a small bar close to where Hannah's car was found also said they had seen her that day that she disappeared and said that she wasn't acting like herself. There are so many questions because this is not your typical missing persons case. Every time Hannah went into this fugue state, it was September and always near a body of water. And as doctors have said, it is entirely possible for someone that is suffering from this type of fugue state to be gone for years to run off and take on a new identity, which has to be so devastating for Hannah's family to live with these questions day in and day out. For now, Hannah's disappearance remains a haunting mystery, but I gotta know, what are your thoughts on this case? People suffering from dissociative fugue states are often portrayed in TV and movies, but this is a real life case of it, really haunting. This holiday season, if you want to hear, hey, where did you get that? Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping for your secret Santa at work or your entire family, Uncommon Goods knows exactly what they want. Being known as a good gift giver is like the ultimate holiday flex. One of my all-time favorite items from Uncommon Goods is their Stay Cool Adjustable Laptop Desk. I love it so much, I'm using it right now, actually. It's so well-made and so unique. When you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. I love that. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not that same old lackluster gift you could find just anywhere. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com Avery. That's uncommongoods.com slash Avery for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Now let's get into today's second case. Detectives say this is one of the strangest disappearances they have seen in their careers. On October 5th, 2018, a 26-year-old production assistant named Terrence Woods Jr., disappeared while shooting a TV show on location in Idaho, specifically Nez Perce National Forest in Oro Grande. Terrence had been working on the first season of the Discovery Channel documentary series Gold Rush. Dave Turin's Lost Mine. He worked alongside a crew from the London-based production company Raw TV. Terrence was originally from Maryland and was described as reliable, intelligent, Friends and family said Terrence was a go-getter. He loved to read, loved the outdoors, just a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And he had big dreams. 
Ultimately wanting to become a film producer, he graduated from the University of Maryland, then went on to London and got a double master's degree. Terrence's dad, Terrence Sr., said he shared a very special bond with Terrence and Terrence's brother after he and their mother got divorced. Terrence Sr. got full custody and raised the boys. He was especially proud to watch his son chase after his dreams and he lived at home while working in production. In the fall of 2018, Terrence seemed to be well on his way to achieving those dreams. In the film industry, everyone hopes to work their way up to the top, and Terrence was a part of this 12-person crew from Raw TV. They ventured to various regions of the Western United States, exploring disused mines and mountainous areas. On September 30th, 2018, Terrence's dad said he dropped his son off at the airport for this trip, saying, see you later. This is a day that Terrence Sr. never forgot, the last time he saw his son. According to Terrence Sr., Terrence flew to Montana to meet with the crew for the shoot. When he arrived, he called his dad and said everything was going okay, nothing out of the ordinary. But on the third, Terrence texted his dad saying that he would be coming home early. But he didn't say why, and Terrence Sr. was wondering as he normally never cut a shoot early. On the 4th, the crew said Terrence and the rest of them made it to Idaho, and they all went out to dinner that evening. On October 5th, all 12 set out for another day of filming, and Terrence posted a photo to his private Instagram page. It showed a forest of trees with a river running through the middle underneath an overcast sky. He captioned it with one word, Idaho. Then later that evening, as the shoot was wrapping up, things took a really bizarre turn. Terrence supposedly told one of the two local women that had been helping with the shoot, with traveling, that he needed to use the bathroom. According to a producer on set named Simon G, he said he looked over and noticed Terrence had dropped his radio on the ground. And the next thing he saw was Terrence running down a steep cliff that led into the forest, where he said Terrence then disappeared into the trees. G and a few others said they tried to run down the cliff attempting to catch up with Terrence, but said because the terrain was so rough and mountainous, they didn't get very far. They turned around, having found no sign of Terrence. The group said they initially believed he got down to a road, but that's where they lost him. And they couldn't decide where he went, left, right, or possibly maybe got into a car. They said they didn't know where he was going, he didn't say. They had no idea what happened. But Terrence never came back. He vanished. Terrence's disappearance was reported to the Idaho County Sheriff's Office at 6.41 p.m. that same evening. In the next day, the search for him began. Terrence's father was notified his son was missing. He said he got to Idaho on the 9th. Search teams made up of dogs, ground searchers on foot, and all-terrain vehicles, along with helicopter teams that could detect body heat, were sent out. Officers were on horseback. They were trying everything they could, but they were unable to find any trace of Terrence. And the search was ultimately called off after six days. How could that be? How could there be no trace of him? Former Sheriff Douglas Giddings said they searched the area for Terrence, but there are rivers, steep mountains, cliffs, bears, and cougars in that area, fighting the terrain in hopes to find Terrence. What happened? Had he gotten lost out there? According to former Sheriff Giddings, he said, There are so many things that could have happened to him. You could make up any wild story that's possible because anything is possible. Since running into that forest after rapping that evening, no one has seen or heard from Terrence. 
There's been no activity on his credit cards. And although this entire story is beyond chilling and bizarre, Gidding said they never came up with any proof of foul play, but did say it doesn't happen very often where someone just flat out disappears. Simon G., one of the crew members, later told Terrence's father that Terrence was running faster than he had ever seen anyone run before. But for Terrence's family, this entire story doesn't add up and said that he wouldn't run away without a good reason, unless he was scared. The film crew told the Idaho County Sheriff's Office that Terrence was having a really hard time emotionally and had an anxiety attack the morning of the shoot. But Terrence Sr. was immediately confused by this, as he had never known his son to suffer from anxiety, so this was alarming. Terrence Sr. and his family remain vigilant in their mission to find out what really happened to Terrence that night. And Terrence Wood Sr. has questioned whether his son made it to Idaho at all. He's questioning everything. Reportedly, the crew put up Facebook pictures with them in Montana, and then they put up pictures with them in Idaho. But Terrence Sr. said, my son is in no pictures of theirs, not one photo. Adding that he only knows Terrence for sure made it to Montana because he talked to him on the phone when he arrived there. But Raw TV told investigators there are numerous witnesses, both on the crew and at the hotel where the group was staying, that Terrence made it to Idaho. He was there. Raw TV has denied hiding any details surrounding Terrence's disappearance. And if you have any information on Terrence's whereabouts, contact the Idaho County Sheriff's Office. I pray for Terrence's family and hope they receive answers in this case. Like the former sheriff said, it's not very often where someone just flat out disappears. There seems to be a lot of missing pieces in this case. And it's so chilling that they never found any trace of him in those woods. Nothing? This is by far one of the strangest disappearances I have ever heard of. For our final case, we're discussing the disturbing mystery of the lost hikers. What happened to the lost girls of Panama? In the spring of 2014, two Dutch travelers, Chris Kramers and Lysian Froon, traveled to Panama, a trip they had spent six months planning. Both of the girls in their early 20s, this trip to Panama was supposed to be a trip of a lifetime. The women were originally from the Netherlands. Chris and Lysian had recently graduated from school and wanted to get out and see the world. And this trip was supposed to be part vacation, part service mission trip. They planned on spending time exploring, hiking, and touring, while also volunteering with local children at the school, teaching arts and crafts. The women had been in Panama for about two weeks, having arrived on March 15th. They had spent their trip hiking jungle trails and were staying with a host family for the next few weeks in Boquette. On April 1st, 2014, the two women said goodbye to their host family at 11 a.m., leaving with the family's dog to take with them on their hike. The women excitedly posed for selfies beforehand with the jungle as a backdrop. The day came and went and the girl's host family was growing concerned as they expected them back hours ago and were even more worried when their dog came back, but the women did not. The host family searched the area around their home, but unfortunately decided to wait until morning to alert the authorities. On April 2nd, the women missed an appointment with a local tour guide who was supposed to take them on a private walking tour of Boquette which prompted the host family to finally alert authorities. The next morning, an aerial search of the forest was conducted, as well as a search of the village and lightly wooded areas by locals. But there was no trace of the two women anywhere. Both Chris and Lisanne's families had flown to Panama, bringing detectives from the Netherlands along with them. The search went on for 10 days, 
and everyone wondered what happened to them on that hike. Those days rolled into weeks, and there was nothing. Police were beginning to slow down on the search efforts. When 10 weeks after the two women disappeared, a woman went to officials and handed in a blue backpack that she said she found along the banks of the river. Inside were two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, Lee San's passport, a water bottle, and clothing. The backpack belonged to Lee San, and inside, police also found a camera and both of the women's cell phones. And this is where things get even more disturbing. Investigators found the women's phones had remained in service for 10 days after the women disappeared. There was evidence of emergency numbers having been dialed only hours after the girls started their hike. But due to a lack of reception, out of all 77 calls, only one managed to make contact, but broke up after just a few seconds. It was clear that hours into the hike, something went terribly wrong for the women. Lee Sand's phone died on April 4th, and Chris's phone would be turned on intermittently between the 5th and the 11th. It was also reported there was this strange four-day gap where Chris's phone was not powered on at all between April 7th and April 10th, before being powered on and back off on the 11th. By April 11th, both phones were dead. The call log was truly chilling, giving a picture of these two women in distress, not able to call for help. But the call logs were nothing compared to what police found on the camera. The first photos on the camera were taken the morning of April 1st, when the women had set out for the hike. Nothing suspicious, the women appeared to be in good spirits. But the second set of photos were haunting. Investigators discovered 90 flash photos were taken in the dead of night, between 1 and 4 a.m. in complete darkness, deep within the jungle. Each picture more disturbing than the last. The photos showed random scenes, the women's belongings spread out on rocks, plastic bags and candy wrappers, strange piles of dirt and mounds, a mirror, and one photo, which was the back of Chris's head. It appeared she had been injured near the temple of her head. Then, two months after finding the backpack, Chris and Lisanne's remains were discovered. In that same area, a pelvic bone and a foot still inside a boot were discovered and positively ID'd as the women. Even stranger, Chris Kramer's bones were stark white and looked as if they were bleached. It was also reported that some of the bones were missing joint tissue that remains naturally intact for years when naturally decomposing. Some say the bleaching could be from sunlight. Others argue this simply would not occur during a normal decomposition. Police went on to question if this was just a horrible fatal accident or if someone was out in the jungle that day with the women, did they possibly meet with foul play? It is entirely possible there was someone else out on the trail that day. Many hikers make their way through every single day. But were the women victims of a crime? Investigators questioned locals and other hikers who were in the area at the time of their disappearance. But nothing besides the call log and the photos provided any evidence as to what happened to the women. They didn't even have enough information to determine a cause of death. The theories in this case are either A, the women got lost while hiking, one of them became injured, clearly from the photos it seems something happened to Chris, and after days of searching for help, extreme dehydration, being malnourished, the women succumbed to exposure. Or B, the two women met with foul play while they were lost. Along with the seemingly bleached remains, another questionable piece of evidence are those cell phone records. One of the women's cell phones was powered on every day from April 1st to April 6th, 
But then it wasn't powered back on until April 11th. Why the five-day gap? But as of today, what happened to these women on that hike remains a terrifying mystery. I really can't definitively land on one theory or another. Sometimes I look at this case and say, these women were not from the area. They were both young. And it is so easy to get turned around in a jungle, a forest, any area you aren't familiar with. This very well could be a tragic accident, but the remains appearing bleached and the cell phone activity does give me pause. But I would be really interested to hear your thoughts and theories on this case. Many are very invested in this mystery. It's just so very tragic and disturbing. In Chris and Lee Sand's case, the discovery of their remains confirms the two women are deceased. But the cause of death, the mystery of what happened to them on that hike, is still in question. All haunting cases that I hope someday have resolutions. And in all of these, if you have any information, I've linked the names and numbers of who you can call with any tips below in the show notes. As I always do, I would love to hear your thoughts. Leave them in the comments on YouTube. Next episode, I have so much more coming your way. Until then, I'm Avery Ross, and this is Avery After Dark.